totally football show, totally at the World Cup. History in 40 minutes. I hope you're ready. Hello, Three Lions. England band not the only one with bum notes for their Tunisia, but two for Kane earns three big points for Gareth Southgate's boys. Elsewhere, Belgium find Panama not very taxing. And earlier, Sweden beat South Korea 1-0. Again, the feature to John Woo, but wasn't a thriller. Coming up on Tuesday, continents collide in Group H. Colombia take on Japan. Poland face Senegal. And it's the return of the Russians as they face Egypt. This time, will they set aside Salah? It's totally at the World Cup. Hello everybody, day five has just concluded. We had a very exciting evening in World Cup land. And to discuss that and more, Carl Anker from the Talking Tactics podcast, the Players Tribune and all sorts of other places. Nice to have you with us, Carl. Hello, it's wonderful to be here. That's great news. Matt Scott's here too. Gotcha. Hi, Matt. Hello. Hello. And Ian McIntosh as well, who's fresh from quite literally dropping the Totally Football quiz. Ian, what was the best question that you asked at half-time of the England game this evening? Oh, well, they're all great questions. Yeah, but... but I'm going to go with which nation yeah. has lost the most World Cup games? Oh, really? Yeah. That's a great question. All right, well, I think maybe, Carl, you know the answer to this. Matt, I'm guessing you don't. It stumped our audience for the longest period of well, time. Well, listeners, tonight. if you think... You have a ponder on that. We'll return to that topic later on because, of course... We've got to start with England. England finally got their go at doing a World Cup game. And you know that thing when you have like a, a brilliant April or May, it's really hot and you think, well, I could have an amazing Caribbean summer. And then by, you know, June the 1st, it's pouring with rain. And that, that was kind of like the game tonight, wasn't it, Carl? Yes. Uh, started strongly, faded out and then started well at the end, which is a bit like me in the school year. Yeah. Just doing really well. And then a big, Christmas release and the video games come out and then I just stop paying attention to my exams. I see. And I cram the last week and I scrape to the end. The headline news <laughs> beyond that is the fact that England did beat Tunisia late on with uh, Harry Kane's second, also beating the monumental bit of fate tempting, the promo that the BBC launched of Imagine If England oh, yeah. Won the World Cup. A phenomenal yeah. amount of hubris. Yeah, extraordinary. Matt, what happened to England between the first and second halves? It's not so much what happened to England as, as what Tunisia did. They sat back and England had a different proposition. In the first half, they'd shown great ambition. They were pressing us right on the edge of our own penalty area, which is what England want, actually. They like to tease the opposition on, play it around and between them, and then hit them fast with accurate passing on the break. Um, but what we saw in the second half was obviously the coach had said, we're vulnerable to this, we're going to get hit again and again. And then we were, England were, I say we if I may, um, England were completely carving Tunisia open at will very early on. But then they played a bit more savvy, sat back a bit more deeply. And it's the same problem that England have found in qualifying when playing against lesser opposition. But I think it's easy to look at Tunisia as lesser opposition. Actually, they're not. I mean, they're, they're a better team than most of those England faced in qualifying. They will pose problems to to other teams. Um, and I'm thinking about Belgium. Um, 
and you could see from the devastation of their players at the end of the game that they felt that they had a chance of qualification that looks like it's already fallen through their grasp because they've lost that game. They set out to try and not lose that, as so many World Cup teams do in their first World Cup match, and they failed at that hurdle. And, uh, and the reason was England were too good for them. What do you think, Ian? Well, I think it should have been done and dusted in the first half. Um, as you say, England started very, very well. Very Probably the best start that I've yeah, seen from a team this, this Very World pleasing Cup. football on the eye. Very effective football mm. as well. Um, probably should have had, well, let's make no bones about it, should have had two penalties. Probably shouldn't have shipped a penalty at the other end. I'm not sure that was one. Uh, Raheem Sterling's missed an open goal. We've hit the post. It should have been done and dusted. Um, and then in the second half, the worry was... Um, because, you know, we're, we're listening to this the, the morning after. Now we've all reflected. We've all got the cheers out of our system. There were some very worrying periods in that second half. Very sort of Sven and Eriksson era England getting more and more ponderous, starting to run out of ideas. Um, the difference a last minute goal will make to morale and belief and momentum is obviously seismic, but I wouldn't want to get too excited on the basis of that performance. Also, because while Matt, you hail Tunisia as a as a better side than than many, they're really not that good. Particularly with the, the holes that were very visible at the back for England, a, a better side could really hurt uh, Southgate's team. Oh yeah, England came to this tournament with some very very exciting attacking players that hail largely from Manchester City, uh, United, Liverpool, and Spurs, but look vulnerable in centre midfield and at central defence and I think very much the the consensus was England will do well in the groups and do fairly decent in the last 16 and then meet your Germany or your Brazil and then be destroyed because we're not really good in centre midfield or defence where these other greater nations are and I think now we've done the first game the consensus is we have quite a lot of very exciting young rapid players in the front but if we get tested in centre midfield or in centre defence we look vulnerable To be fair in this World Cup so far only really Russia have looked 100%. And how bizarre is that? But, you know, they, they stormed it and everybody else has either drawn or struggled their way to a win of the of the, the major sides. So if you were to pick out the positive... as or, Germany did. Or lost, indeed, yeah. Something I find very interesting is um, the amount of set-piece goals. So over a third of goals scored in the World Cup so far have been via set-pieces. Mm-hmm. We've seen close to approaching double figures worth of penalties. Um, so loads of goals are happening via set pieces but if you look at loads of these games a lot of these teams are attacking very well going through wide areas very very well but the final through ball or the final cross isn't quite working which leads me to believe the players haven't quite figured out how the ball works yet I think it's a ball issue I think it's it's an acclimatisation issue so you know you spend all season working in the Premier League and then you figure out how to hit the ball hard Mm. enough to make the cross go in at right stage and I think they figured out how to do that when the ball is static. Yeah. So all your set pieces and your crosses are going in. I don't think everyone's figured out how to put the right amount of push on a pass for a through ball. Trees, I think that's Trees why. Merton says. Yes. <laughs> so, Nacho certainly has. Yes. And yeah. I think those players, the, the first players to figure out the right amount of pressure and curve to put on the ball when it's moving are going to going to be the danger teams there's a human aspect as well it's a world cup there's a lot of nerves on show um tonight they're playing through a kind of thin mist of midges um which can't be particularly pleasant when they wish up your nose um yeah overall it's it's a good result it's a better result than germany got we'll absolutely take that but um i would i would counsel against any kind of premature hyperbole there were chances where a more a more confident side could have really caused england problems no england's players at the back have 
tremendous facility with the ball at their feet. They are able to play the kinds of passes that you look for midfields to play. Yeah, and it's they, when the ball's at the other player's feet that I'm mm. just more concerned. There's, there was one episode, and this is the thing, you may well be right, Matt, because we just didn't get much evidence to the contrary, but the mm. one bit that we did get, which was about 15 minutes into the game, when Tunisia eventually kind of wandered lost and helpless uh, upfield and found themselves faced with stones who, who didn't really know what to do. And there was, It shouldn't have been a Tunisia opportunity, but all of a sudden two or three Tunisia players had a go at, at the ball. They couldn't do anything with it. But I wonder what another team might have done. But you may well be right, Matt. That, that, that is the, I mean, we have a strategic approach now to, mm. to keep the ball. The tactic we use is, is this 3-5-2 and we try to tease them on by playing the ball out, out the back. That's a risk. You're you're always going to be taking risks like that because you know the easiest thing is to lump it upfield, play football that we all lament uh, from the 1970s that was also English. What we're doing now is a far more continental style, and we are taking risks by playing tiki taka 20 yards from our own goal. We will have teams that will take the ball at those and create those dangerous situations. But I think that the the idea is we're going to create more dangerous situations at the other end by mm. playing that way. And from the evidence of Nigeria, Costa Rica, and now. Tonight, uh, I, I think that we have done. There's so much to be encouraged by. Now. We're on course, maybe not as brilliant as we thought it was going to be in that opening 20 minutes or so, but a very mm. positive night, particularly for one Harry Kane. Two goals on his opening World Cup. Fantastic. Match. Harry Kane is is the type of striker who, I think, the, the the key thing you always have to remember at Harry Kane is Harry Kane believes in the gambler's paradox, which is a very weird mental think where he believes if he takes a shot on goal and it doesn't go in it makes it more likely that he'll score on his next shot that is not how football works that's not how statistics work that is the lie Harry Kane tells himself to keep shooting and to keep his confidence going he is a volume shooter uh, and the great thing that England have and a lot of other of these top footballing sides have that you see as compared to some of the non-European sides is we just have better finishers which means you've always got a boxer's chance. To, to be fair, against better teams, we've talked about better teams, what better teams will do is actually mark Harry Kane when he's three yards from goal. <laughs> well, which is he certainly went man-to-man with him on several occasions. Yeah, but for his two goals, they both, but the ball fell to him three yards from goal, both occasions exactly the same position, and he scored both times. Of course he did. He's Harry Kane, he's three yards from goal, and believe it or not, he's unmarked. I mean, it was just naive. Yeah, after that second goal, there were Tunisian defenders approaching Sammy Kufour levels of frustration with each other yes. that they just let England's best player have about six, a six-yard circle um, around him. Uh, there's, there's plenty to be positive about. There's, I would say, still an awful lot to be worried about, but look, they're a decent team, they're a likeable team, they will hopefully get better as the tournament goes on, but I'll maybe just dial back on the five-minute we've won the World Cup montages just for a bit. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Let's talk then about some of the other things that took place on this Monday. Sweden beats South Korea in Nizhny Novgorod. Gronkris penalty there. Sweden's first goal since March, and that drops Germany down to third place in their group. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> in Sochi, there was some Sochi football, for a brutal expression from Belgium. Lukaku and Go going sailing through the middle of Panama like there was a great big canal there. <laughs> 3 0. That. Although that took a bit of time. Should we, should we talk about that? Yes. In the Fish Stadium on the shores of the Black Sea, uh, Panama weren't very good. And Lukaku wasn't. And Carl, you've been speaking to Lukaku, haven't you? Uh, the Players' Tribune have been working very closely with Lukaku and his team uh, ahead of this World Cup. Um, we've just released his story, talking about his 
amazing debut in the Anderlecht team at the age of 16 years of age, sharing shoes with his dad because he didn't have a pair, couldn't afford a pair of football boots himself. It's, um, can I just say, it's an amazing story. I didn't know it was you that had kind of worked on it and I was reading it today and it it's remarkable because it's quite difficult sometimes to connect with footballers but the story that he tells and you know with your help it's so personal I don't think anyone can read that and not feel very very deeply touched by but you know just really feel just get an understanding of what drives him it was a cumulative group effort of everyone at the team players tribune just Lukaku as a figure is amazing he he talks about how he's their record goal scorer in, in Belgian football history he, yeah. he's 25 years old yeah. he's their record goal scorer the number two person is already retired the closest person to catching that record is Eden Hazard who is something like 16 maybe 10 16 goals behind well, he scored I think is it 27 goals international goals since the start of last year yeah. in, in, in his story he talks about how for him every single goal is a final and when he hits the ball he hits it with pace and venom and he's trying and I quote and when I hit the ball I'm not trying to finesse it I'm trying to kill you with every single shot mm. which is funny because his first goal was a delightful little dink yeah <laughs> yeah. well there were some beautiful goals in this and, 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 and none better I guess than Dries oh. Merton's opener how about that Matt? Oh, sumptuous. Yeah, that was glorious. What a hit. But also a kind of game that was a mirror image to the England match in that Belgium in the first half, very, very slow, couldn't get things going. And you could almost see, because I believe the Belgians aren't particularly shy in the dressing room with their feelings towards the tactical system. Mm. But you could see the players kind of twitching with frustration. I'd I'd imagine there were were a few full and frank exchanges of views in the dressing room. So they needed that goal. The players weren't the only ones. Daniel Story over on Football 365, shaken, not stirred mm. by Martinez. Martinez chose to use three central defenders against a team who barely attempted to attack. Martinez chose Yannick Carrasco as a left wing back when he's so obviously weak in that role. Martinez asked Kevin De Bruyne to collect the ball from the defenders, leaving him 70 yards from goal. Martinez picked Axel Witzel as a screen for a defence, then he did no screening, and the, the, the list goes on. A convincing scoreline, but yeah. not in terms of the manager's tactics. When you talk about midfields that are prone to be overrun, that's Belgium's. I mean, they're, they're playing two in the middle. and are playing one. Well, yeah, basically, because they've got so many attacking players. I mean, this is... Well, according to Daniel, that was one too many, though. <laughs> well, against Panama, perhaps. But what I'm saying is, you know, we're, we're talking this, this fantasy, what happens when they meet a better team. And yeah. they will do when they play England. England are demonstrably a better team than the others in the group. I think they're going to have... Problems against England. They they can they will be outnumbered in that midfield area. England, you know, they are playing a numbers game with a five man midfield. Play a mental game here. Imagine that you're from neither Belgium nor nor England, and you see those two games back to back. Which team do you think looks more dangerous? Belgium, because they have slightly sharper attacking players. Do they? Yeah. When you've got Eden Hazard, Dries Merton, and Romelu Lukaku, you've got a slightly better punches chance than Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, and Jesse Lingard. They've got better finishers. I'd agree with that. I don't think they're sharper. They're always going to be an outball for England. Always. There's always an outball for Belgium when you have Romelu Lukaku and Eden Hazard. Eden Hazard running against John Stones. I don't like that. It's why Carl Walker's. If you're Germany, who do you want to face, England or Belgium? Um, on the basis of that first game, probably Belgium. I'd say there's, right. there's more more gaps and vulnerabilities. And if you're picking but, a fancy team, who would you have up front, Lukaku or Kane? I actually do have Lukaku. Right, that you just returning to your players' tribune piece. That you had about what four hours with him or something, four or five hours. We did. We did. And what was the juiciest bit that you left out? It involves his time working Roberto Martinez at Everton. Oh yeah. Um, We also have a piece of Roberto Martinez, right? Where he 
Roberto Martinez. What was so juicy about the bit from Lukaku about Roberto Martinez? They they just really enjoy each other. Oh, they do. They just really do, which yeah. which I think is nice. Uh, Roberto Martinez thinks you know Roberto Martinez's line is uh, you know I put a lot of my Everton eggs into the Lukaku basket when I bought him for twenty eight million. Yeah, and thank goodness it paid off. And I think Lukaku understands that and is very much thanks, Bobby. Thanks for buying me and giving me a full season playing for Everton. So okay, they got right. on for now. Okay, um, <laughs> you've also done pieces with Raheem Sterling. Yes. He's certainly a man in a fascinating situation, not necessarily in an enjoyably fascinating one for, for him. But I, I'm curious to know what, what he was like talking to. Is he an interesting guy? Is he a thoughtful guy? What's he make of his current situation in terms of the way the media are treating him? He's very charismatic, very funny, charming young man who's you know had a very hard upbringing and, and uh, tough life experiences. And it's made him the man he is today. And I think his approach is, you know, I've been through all these bad things in my life and I've come out stronger. So, you know, if if so-and-so newspaper wants to say stuff to me, I'll get through this as well. Okay. He also loves bounty bars, which I think is charming. All right. Shame he didn't get a tattoo of those, eh, Carl? (laughs) (laughs) Do you still get two types of bounty? Uh, Yeah, dark chocolate bounty and milk chocolate bounty. All right. Definitely. It's all about dark chocolate. Well, hopefully that Sterling piece is coming out soon. Have we talked enough about Belgian Panama, Carl? No, because I'm still very confused as to what Belgium are supposed to be. All right. They feel very England. They feel very last golden generation England. They feel very much, we have an abundance of very, very talented players all playing in similar positions and a manager that is very, very smart and eloquent. And we have no idea if we're good or bad. And I don't know if we're going to figure out if this Belgian side are good or Mm. great or bad. Is, Is the problem with Belgium that they actually do think they're really good? When you watch England start, it just seemed like so direct and so immediate and efficient compared to the way that Belgium were playing their football. That's I think exactly a it. I mean, more worrying problem for Belgium is this is not an, uh, a selection of players that have all come through an academy like Clairefontaine or through the German system. This is a group of players that through sheer luck have all come to their mid to late 20s at the same age. So it very much feels like you have to get this done now because you're a nation of 11 million. And if mm. you don't win anything with these players, we don't know where the next batch is coming from. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm. Eng- oh. England found their players a lot more quickly. It was, it was, we talk about ponderous build-ups. That's exactly what you had with them. They don't have the natural width. It seemed to be more forced the way they did it. And still, they didn't find the wide players. And I think that's got to be a concern because England's, England's players are coming deep to, to, to find the ball. Whereas with the Belgian team, you know, when they're faced with with numbers, England—that's what I mean. You know, when when we've allowed the other team to come on, when you're playing against the Belgian team, or when the Belgian team were playing, they were very much further up the pitch and still knocking it around in front of each other, not really passing for passing's sake. And the point is penetration, and I think that's a characteristic of of Roberto Martinez's management wherever he's been. He plays possession football without necessarily playing penetrating football. Tell you what we do know, Matt. Panama are really bobbins. And it was yeah, kind of a day of... One or two decent ones. I liked, I liked the look of Murillo, the, the New, York, New York Red Bulls yeah. right back. I thought he was all right. Torres did that wonderful interception. Oh, yeah, he was quite fun, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's a lion-maned Torres. They are, they're not going quietly into the night, are they? No. They're <laughs> slamming into challenges oh, yeah. left, right Although and Belgian, it, it was almost as if they... They decided to kind of meet them halfway with this. But if you're USA watching this, that could have been us. And equally, if you're Italy watching Sweden in their match, segueing neatly into the earlier game today, 
against South Korea, you, you think, oh my... USA had... should have won their games then, shouldn't they? Well, they should have, and you but, think um, for Italy. What, what about Sweden then? Is there... I would go out on a limb here and say that from Sweden, South Korea, we haven't seen contenders um, for the latter <laughs> stages of this tournament. Sweden were fine, they were solid, they did what they do. Marcus Berg had a couple of nice touches, and, and they, like so many people, won the game with a penalty after some VAR. Uh, South Korea... Not their finest vintage. I mm. felt a bit sorry for Son Hung Min, who is, of course, um, this is the beginning of his campaign to avoid national service. He, uh, South Korea, I think, have to get into the last four of something. It's the Asian for, Cup, I think, mm. that's specifically... And the Asian Cup's probably the better target. Yeah. Um, because I don't think they're doing it here. But at one point, towards the back end of the first half, I think, Son Hung Min went on this coruscating 60-yard run down the right flank and then looked up and there's no one there. Mm. Uh, very much a, a metaphor for his role in that team. <laughs> Carl Berger says, Aloha crew, love the new show, in case you might be interested. Sweden had more shots on goal in the first half of the game with uh, South Korea than during the entire Euro 2016 campaign. That's <laughs> remarkable. You know what Sweden reminded me of was the Ericsson Capello vintage England. Mm. So 4-4-2. Lustig putting the ball in from the right, just like David Beckham. You know, Celtic's Michael Lustig really does have a good little cross on him. Um, but <laughs> so ineffective, actually. Right. And not equipped to go forward and advance in the tournament. Does every part. team remind you of a different era of England? Absolutely It's right, the work yeah. of a Rorschach test. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The one the I like about this England, England is it reminds me of 1930s England, oh, which was the WM formation and we were world beaters then. So. Every England World Cup squad is a direct response to the previous England World Cup squad. Mm. Is that right? I've just made that theory up now. No, okay, well, it might be no, wrong. We'll test it. No, so. I'll tell you the what. Manager. The man- absolutely, yeah. the manager is. We, we swing from hot to cold, from hot to cold, yes. from hot to cold. We want a bit of a character, a bit of a shout, a bit of passion. Then we Certainly. don't. We want sensible. Sensible and considered. Well, so yeah. which is Southgate? Old, he's sensible no, and considered. No, no, he's the young man to Roy's old man. Right. Okay. Hmm. Oh, oh, with Big Sam, of course, in between. How does that well, fit into that? Well. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Such a blink of an eye, wasn't it? Are you daring to dream? Just to finish off on all this Monday business, are you daring to dream, Matt? Look, if we if England have more luck with referees than they did tonight, you definitely need luck with refereeing. You need luck with the decisions if you're going to whoever you are if you're going to advance in the tournament. I think I think that as they develop together, they're young boys. They get more cohesion. I think there's a good deal of cohesion in that team, and that's something that you don't often get from international teams. I don't see the cliques that that, that so many international teams have been riven by, including England in the past. Yeah, I think that there's there's a bit of a club mentality in that regard and there are many things to believe with a bit of luck I don't see Germany as being particularly strong I think the performance we saw the other night was 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 the one that I've been expecting um, Brazil are a decent side I think England can win things definitely Euro so, 2020 not this yeah. one one thing that Rio Ferdinand was saying recently was about how his England team effectively never got anywhere because the players were too embedded with that whole Man United v Chelsea Man United v Liverpool mentality that, for example, when he sat down across a breakfast table from Steven Gerrard, they couldn't even speak to each other, which is extraordinary. That doesn't seem to be a problem with this England. Is that the case with Belgium, given their club allegiances? Yes, four years ago. We now know for a fact four years ago there was disruption between the Flemish-speaking Belgian players mm. and the players of uh, oh, African right. descent. Okay. Yeah. And um, uh, similar to how the alleged problems with the Dutch team of 1996. Okay. Um, melting pop nations have problems with people meeting eye to eye in football clubs. Dutch teams always had problems because every single Dutch player who rocked up was the best player on their team since the age of four. <laughs> right. 
this seems good. Southgate seems to have created a really good balance. Everyone seems likable. Sun, sea, sand and football. Watching the World Cup on holiday sounds like paradise. Until you try watching a game online and realise seconds before kickoff that it's blocked. Well, instead of bemoaning your decision to book a trip during a tournament that comes around once every four years, you need to get yourself a virtual private network from bestvpn.com and you'll be able to access the internet freely wherever you are this summer, all for less than the price of a pint. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can get 70% off a VPN by visiting bestvpn.com slash podcast. Bestvpn.com will set you up with a VPN in minutes so you can watch the football from your deck chair or by the pool. And when it comes to security, bestvpn.com will also protect your internet activity from prying eyes on open Wi-Fi networks. No matter where you are in the world, you can access your online home comforts with a VPN. So unlock the internet today with bestvpn.com. Find out more and get 70% off by heading to bestvpn.com slash podcast. World Cup news. We've had our first player sent home. Nikola Kalinic, uh, told to do one from Croatia after refusing to come on during the Nigeria win. That's not good, is it? Fair play. I'd have done anything I could to get out of watching it. (laughs) Uh, Coming up on Tuesday, everybody. Columbia take on Japan in the enticingly named Mordovia Arena. That's in Saransk. City of Saransk is named after a muddy river. Poland, meanwhile, will be taking on Senegal also from Group H. That's in the altogether more racy-sounding Spartak Stadium in Moscow. And then, with that, we've had a game from everybody at the World Cup. We go all the way back to the start as Russia attempt to become the first team into the second round against Egypt in St. Petersburg. We'll get more from Sasha Gurionov on that game a little bit later on. Because first of all, when we look at Tuesday's action, let's let's talk about, in this World Cup, the most worldly of all the groups, Group H, four continents involved here. Really zero idea of what's going to happen. But, of course, England fans, potential England last 16 opponents, come from this group. Who's going to be doing what, where and how, Ian? God knows. Right. Um, if you listen to the previews, you remember that I said this would probably be the best group and uh, all my other predictions have come perfectly true, so it should be absolutely fine. <laughs> There's so much that could happen. So many great players involved as well in this Honestly, group. you could toss all four names up in the air and then just where they land is where they finish. They're like, so evenly matched. Even Japan? Even, well, the funny thing about Japan is that they've had these... Because they had that very late managerial change. Mm. And then they've had these friendlies where they've been desperately trying to get into or get back to playing this passing football game. And against Ghana, they were beaten 2-0 at home. But they played very well. So it's a question of how much they've been able to take in, how much cohesion they've been able to bring. Because they're, they're a decent technical side. Mm. Look, if I could just say, out of the last 24 games involving all of those four teams... Oh, yeah. So you're looking at the last six mm. form on each of them. They've had six wins between them. All they, four match, oh, sorry, all, all four, four teams, teams have only managed... Them have mustered six wins between them. Oh. Games. By contrast, England's group have won 15 out of their last 24 between them. How so, about that? Good it's going to be very interesting because all these, all these sides are, are evenly matched and also are easily vulnerable to each other and their styles of play. Um, and of course, the, the one team that you might put slightly above the rest, Colombia, yeah. um, who did so well in 2014, mm. didn't have actually a great qualifying campaign, but it looks like James Rodriguez might miss out. Well, well. he so might that sort not. Of brings I mean, them back it, it, down. Yeah, stay tuned. Keep across news sources, uh, listeners, because some folks say he will be there, and he's so key, of course, isn't he? 
golden boot, wasn't he? Well, in the last World Cup. Yeah. Six, six goals in yeah. 2014. player of the tournament. Of course, yeah, they do have Falcao song. ready to make... Uh, Returning Falcao, which is... Yeah, but this is the first time he's ever been at the World Cup. Mm. He's yeah. back from the ACL injury that turned, that meant he'd missed out in 2014. Some would say Colombia were better at 2014 because they didn't have all their play channeled through Falcao. Um, London listeners, be close to Elephant and Castle for a Colombia game. Yeah. What's happening there? That's where the... That's where the largest uh, Colombian is that grouping right? diaspora yeah. exists yeah, in London. Three four three bus is is uh, yeah, it's got a lot of uh, it, it, during the World Cup. It's, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's, uh, I'm very excited to watch Colombia play football. Well, it's it's Colombia that Japan take on first, which is interesting because that's the last game that Japan had at the World Cup. It, it was back in Brazil, and they got beaten. What was it? Four one. Yeah. Uh, by the Cafeteros. Now, listeners, you might think I bet they don't know too much about Japan, and you'd be right. But we know a man who does, and he is Ben Maxwell, who's a host, indeed, of the JTalk podcast. And he gave us a quick heads up on some of the players from Samurai Blue to look out for. Well, you'll definitely notice Yuto Nagatomo of Galatasaray and his dyed blonde hair zipping up and down the left touch line from his fullback position. Um, further forward, I always smirked when uh, reading uh, various World Cup previews, uh, seeing Keisuke Honda and Shinji Kagawa listed as Japan's key players, as they were basically uh, being uh, phased out under Halil Hodzic. But uh, I think the joke's on me because it looks like Ishino will be relying on at least Honda and possibly Kagawa as well. So uh, they're obviously very well-known players abroad. They were doubtful to even make a, a, the squad, I would have said, under Halil Hodzic, but... Nishino, some say under pressure from some of the JFA's major sponsors, has handed uh, uh, Honda and Kagawa spots in his squad. So you would likely see at least Honda and possibly Kagawa as well after his uh, goal in the last friendly against Paraguay uh, from the start. Um, For something a little bit different, though, rather than just saying Honda and Kagawa again, I'll say uh, Genki Haraguchi. He helped uh, Fortuna Dusseldorf get promoted to the Bundesliga uh, last season, and he's joining Hanover in the Bundesliga uh, for the next campaign. He's uh, likely to start on the right of midfield, a good engine, it, it, possibly a, a good link-up with uh, Yuya Osaka, who will probably play up front. So, uh, yeah, let's say uh, Haraguchi from uh, from an attacking perspective. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Right, Japan. Well, I'm, I'm even more excited to see them now at the Moldova Arena in Saransk. And I really hope that Hammers is playing. But uh They've got jo- decent spine, Columbia. Yeah? Yeah, they do, yeah. I mean the goalkeeper's okay. Ospina. No, he's not the worst. He's okay. I mean I'm just saying he's, he's okay. He's, I'm not he's going very wild. Much enjoyed by Colombian fans, despite the yeah. fact that a goalkeeping mistake mm. essentially gifted Peru qualifying into the World Cup. Um he's not Dustin Dave to Colombian fans as he is to Arsenal no, fans. No, I, something's really interesting with Colombia is how they've essentially had Dustin a... Dustin Dave. Dustin Dave is what some Dustin Arsenal fans call right. uh, mm-hmm. Ospina. Because he's rubbish. Ah, <laughs> and he also apparently looks like a bin man. Um, the point about Colombia I find very interesting is that Colombia is going through the reverse of what England is going through in terms oh. of their player profiles. So previously England were known for making very, very large, stout rugged centre-backs uh-huh. and have now this England team is very much having slightly smaller flightier rapid inside forwards whereas now Colombia previously known for very very creative number 10s inside forwards and strikers are now being known for having really strong rugged centre-backs Davison Sanchez is one of the most you know talented young centre-backs playing in Europe today okay 
Well, anyway, so he'll probably be up to it against Japan. Meanwhile, in that group, a little bit later on, it's Poland-Senegal. Now, you were saying Colombia are the, the, the side that's probably the favourites in this group, but you can make a strong case mm. for, for Senegal, who've got some really... I mean, talk about a good spine for Colombia. Senegal's spine looks really good. Senegal's my pick to be the the farthest-reaching African nation. OK. Um, something that really stuck out to me in the Champions League final defeat for Liverpool was how Mane, once Salah went off, Mane essentially boxer gloves. All right, I'm going to take this game with a scruff of the neck and remind you all I'm one of the best players in Europe. He's a big game player, Carl. He definitely is. To use the term, he wants it. He wants it. And then behind him, you've got Gay Koulibaly at the back. He's a rock. Bang. They're, they're my pick to, to finish second in this group. And Second? So who do you have top? I think Colombia, providing James is fit, will go first because we, we, we've got to figure Poland into this conversation Poland. surely they've got Poland. Lewandowski yeah. they've got old Lewandowski they've got, yeah, yeah the guy's still old Piszczek old Blazikowski they're old Zielinski from Napoli really? he's a good oh, player Zielinski's a good player yeah. they would have Arkadius Milik who's if he hadn't just gone and injured himself no. I'm not saying he's injury prone but he went to visit the Dolphinarium in Sochi and fell over on a puddle oh, oh, no. he hurt his oh, hand because he got injured last time didn't he he's always injured poor oh. child it's a hand yeah. surely he can play with a bad hand are you not going to make your joke about spilt milk goalkeeper <laughs> Glick Glick Camel Glick's got injured as well doing a bicycle kick well that's worse it's almost as if having two clairvoyant animals he's somehow angered the footballing gods. Because yeah. they've got an elephant and they've got uh, a penguin. Glick is head and shoulders their best defender. I mean, he's a, mm. he's a good player. Anyway, so... But I still, but I still I, see I, them coming out of that group. Yeah? Yeah, I, I, I actually think Senegal will but miss this, out. But this game is going to be huge then, Poland oh. taking on Senegal. Po- Poland, when we were talking about six six wins in, in this group, three of them were for Poland. So they're the informed side. Uh, okay. So if you're well, that's interesting, form. isn't it? And did you know that Lewandowski has been celebrated by his nation with a commemorative stamp for these World Cup finals with his face on it, six Zloty each. Wouldn't it be nice if he put one on a postage stamp? Zlotted at home. Zlotted at home, Ian. Off the post, perhaps, because it's a stamp. Yeah, Uh, we'll move on. (laughs) It's a real treat being here. (laughs) So it's been magical discussing Group H and uh, it does look wide open. As you might expect, a... Quartet featuring a team from Africa, a team from South America, a team from Europe, and a team from Asia to be. But by tomorrow evening, we'll know how the opening games are gone. We'll also know what's happened, whether Russia can follow up that extraordinary start. The evening game sees the team that's had the best results so far have a go at doing it again, and unbelievably, it is Russia. This is going to be at the St. Petersburg Stadium. They're taking on Egypt. Do we expect Salah to play? Well, he didn't even get off the bench, did he? Has he has to. He must. He must. He must. Now, nobody was more shocked about Russia's brilliant 5-0 win in their opening game than Sasha Gurionov, who you recall was a little bit down on their chances. How is he feeling now about this match? Well, producer Ben caught up with him a short time ago and Sasha did a funny early on. It wasn't just me who was taken by surprise. I think everyone in Russia was. OK, Saudi Arabia won great shakes. So I possibly doesn't really say much about the strengths of this Russian team, uh, the fact that they managed to beat these guys 5-0. But the way they did it and the way that the midfield functioned for the first time in a very, very long time was very, certainly very encouraging. What is very important now is that the atmosphere um, around the team lifted uh, because basically going into that first match, everything was so negative, including myself. 
players from the Russian national team were actually kicking off against the media saying, look, guys, we need more support. Uh, Artem Zuba came out with sort of with that statement. In return, some Russian journalists sort of bid back saying, well, if you're a bit nicer, more approachable and generally easier to deal with, maybe it would be nicer. I mean, it was sort of reminiscent of 2014. And back in 2014, Russia started poorly with that drawing in South Korea. I can fair mistake and things only went downhill. Whereas this time, uh, this 5 0 win basically got the country massively excited. Uh, but um, I think it has to be recognized that Saudi Arabia didn't bring anything to the party. But what we saw against Saudi Arabia perhaps is what we're going to see against Egypt. Because what Russia did is they said, Saudi Arabia, you want to play football? Go on, have the ball, see what you can do. And basically, as soon as Saudi Arabia got the ball in their own half, they got rushed. And the whole thing of breaking up the play. Another thing that the Russians did very well, of course, was use the um, fact that the Saudis were very poor in the air, as we saw in the first and the third goal. Now, I don't think this uh, Egypt would have this problem, given that they have Higazi uh, at centre-back. However, Egypt would have a problem uh, when it comes to playing football. Uh, because if you look at Egypt, uh, even with Salah playing, they're essentially a counter-attacking team. They'd like uh, the other team to have the ball. Uh, but the game against Russia is going to be one that they need to win. Uh, so I think it would suit the Russians to basically try to force Egyptians to play football, then rush them, uh, perhaps use the breakdown in play and uh, try to try to score from that. So I think at the moment, um, looking at it, looking at uh, tomorrow's match, uh, it seems that Russia are holding the cards. And what about the team news, Sash? Uh, Cheryshev came off the bench, scored twice. Zuba also came off the bench. He scored. He's a big man. Uh, are there going to be any changes to the starting lineup? So Cheryshev should keep his place in the team after coming on so successfully for Zagoyev, who has been perhaps ruled out until this second round, if Russia do get through. Um, however, there's questions about the, the striker, uh, because I think something that sort of slightly went under the radar is the fact that Smolov actually had an appalling game against Saudi Arabia. He um, basically spent too much time on the ball. There were random flicks that didn't lead to anything. And of course, Zuba was much more clinical when he came on, you know, making an impact almost immediately. Chichesov was asked this question today in the, pre- in the press conference, and he didn't really give an answer. Uh, personally, I think I should probably stick with Smolov for now. Um, I think in terms of, despite the fact that he didn't have a, the greatest of games, I think the, the movement of the front six was actually pretty good. So I think I'll, I'd, go, I'd go with him. So basically, it's the team uh, that uh, was on the pitch after Zagov came off uh, injured. I think that, that should be the starting lineup against Egypt. And Sash, of course, you're a huge Liverpool fan. Uh, will you have mixed feelings to see Mohamed Salah play tomorrow? I think I'll be absolutely fine if he scores. Uh, to be honest, I think as any club fan, you want your players to return from World Cups without any injuries. So I hope I hope he doesn't do himself any further damage. Um, interestingly, today, uh, Chichesov was asked whether anyone in his team was prepared to do a Ramos. Of course, he diplomatically declined to answer that question. But I think that this, this for Egypt, um, for Egyptian fans, you know, it's Salah makes almost 99% difference uh, whether they can look at this game with optimism or not. And indeed, you know, half-fit Salah can cause that Russian uh, backline problems. I mean, that Russian backline had a few issues, even against Saudi Arabia, despite coming under no pressure whatsoever. So I think while Salah is on the pitch... Egypt have hope, but uh, the way things stand, Russia only needing a draw, I think they're actually in a pretty decent position. What do you think? Russia going to be the first team to qualify for the second round? Ian? No, no. I'm still, I, I, I know they've just won 5 0, but Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia was so bad. I, I don't want to read too much into that. I, I reckon Egypt might get back into it here. Yeah? Wow. I, I like question. Russia. I think Jagaev's yeah. a big, big miss. 
I think you know everybody was talking about Golovin before the tournament, but Jagoev is every bit the player that he is. Um, but... Golovin, the star though, very much of that. Oh, of that game, yeah. yeah. But Jagoev is that good that he, you know, he's a, a huge miss from the centre. But Cherishev, who came on for him, Beautiful. looked fantastic too. I mean, that, that, different that... player though. Yeah. Um, okay. But but yeah, he was yeah, absolutely spectacular. But all of a sudden, it seems like they've got loads of options, or maybe Saudi Arabia just really really bad. They were, of course, they, are. they broke well. The expected goals model had Russia pitched to score two goals, oh. which is a testament to how bad Saudi Arabia's centre-backs and goalkeeper are. Okay. Essentially, if you have a shot on goal against Saudi Arabia, you have a chance of scoring. Right. Um, Even if you don't have a shot on goal, you're you probably going to score. Deflections work too. Uh, Russia have already scored more goals in this tournament than they did in both 2014 and 2002, their last two appearances at the World Cup. That's remarkable. Yeah, but they've got some good finishes in there. I mean, Juba, that 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 Juba, sorry, that that header that he did was yeah. right behind him. Good goal. Fedor Smolov yep. is a very good player as well. Guy. All of a sudden, Russia are players. full of good players. They're, they're full of very fit players. They're very fit. They're very athletic. They do a lot of hard running, um, which in a World Cup that's very important. I'm not having it yet. No, no. T- tell you one thing that might swing your mind on this. The pressure in this game is all on Egypt. Russia can afford to sit back, much as they did with Saudi Arabia, and just pick off the Egyptians exactly. on the break. I fancy them. A result here, a win here, and they are through to the last 16. We're only about six days into the tournament. It's usually it's how long it takes for England to go out. How times have changed. Incredible. Incredible. Well, <laughs> hopefully Salah's going to be back. Just yeah. one final uh, little statoid. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first time England have won the opening game of their tournament in six times of asking. Really? In the last six tournaments? Mm. Remember the last one? It was against Tunisia, 1998. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was there, yeah. actually, in Marseille. Oh, were you? Yeah, I was, you know, mixing it up, getting yeah. a bit tasty. <laughs> Lobbing chairs. <laughs> a couple of years ago. <laughs> Good times. I was seven years old. Where you, Carl? And I was uh, listening to it on the radio at school. And at school? At school. I was seven. Yeah, but it, it, it took place in the evening, didn't it, that game? No, no, no. no. Middle of the afternoon. Of the afternoon. Was it? Des Lynham. It, it was a new bit of work. Just, yes. It was, ah. you know, it was the fighting that began in the evening. <laughs> right. Uh, OK, now, very shortly we'll get the answer to Ian's exciting question. Remember that, listeners? A lifetime ago at the start of this. Uh, before that, producer Ben's only been speaking to Paddy Power again, getting all the odds on Tuesday's games. Let's find out what they said. Thanks, Jimbo. Lee Price, you're here. You never leave. Yeah, there's free drinks in the green room and there's nice company, so why would I go home? Well, it's so nice that you commute all the way in each day. Listen, we've got football to talk about. Tomorrow is Colombia versus Japan. This could be quite interesting. Yeah, I like both of these squads. Japan have been written off a bit, but they've got some lovely players in their team. Uh, they're 9-2 to to win this one, uh, with Kagawa 9-1 to one to score first, which tempts me. The draw's 5-2 to two and Colombia, as you might expect, are odds-on favourites to win this 4-6. to six. Hammers to score first, 11-2. He does shine at World Cups. Elsewhere in that group, it's Poland versus Senegal. I think this is less interesting. I think uh, <laughs> other people will disagree with me. What's what's going on here? Well, this is interesting for England because this is the match between two teams we could play in the next round if we win the group. Uh, it's Poland are at 13-10 to win this fixture. The draw is 21-10. Senegal are 23-10. They could be really interested in this tournament, I think. And Lee, let's whiz back over to Group A because the second round of games are taking place in the group. It's Russia versus Egypt. What's going on in this one? Yeah, this could be pivotal. Uh, Egypt are even money to win this fixture. Russia are 3-1. to one. The draw is 11-5. to five. And tell me what's going to happen if Russia score a goal. Uh, if they score, I will celebrate because Paddy Power are donated £10,000 for every Russian goal this World Cup to LGBT charities via Attitude Magazine's foundation. So that means that whether they like it or not, 
Russia are directly funding LGBT football and tackling homophobia. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Ian, you asked... What did you ask again? I asked which team had lost the most World Cup games, which is a tricky one because you've got to be in a lot of World Cups to lose a lot of World Cups. got to be in it to lose it in the time on the trays. Who who always goes out in the knockout stages? Uh, England. Mexico. And also England. But in this case, Mexico. Oh, it's it, Mexico. Yeah, the answer was Mexico. They've lost more World Cup games more than World Cup any games other team. Anyone else? That question. And yet they beat Germany. That question Go from Opta. Right. Well, if you fancy a bit more like that, look out for our quiz on Sunday when England play Panama. Brilliant. Another England quiz coming. Well, uh, make sure that you find us on Facebook for all sorts of videos, uh, quizzes, and competitions and stuff. We're also available via the medium of Twitter at the Totally Show. We'll be back tomorrow evening. So get your questions, and comments in for that. If there's anything you want to talk about. For now, I say thank you to Ian McIntosh, to Carl Anker, and to you, Matt Scott. Thank you. And you, listener. We got around the back. We protected and we attacked, and we also got around the back. Are you doing a world in motion thing? Which has to do it at the right time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, listeners, I'll deal with this. You go off and have a good time. Catch up with you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free. Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience. But then Beckham boots Simeone, Lampard's goal isn't given or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty. The highs, more often than not, come with lows. And that's a little bit like life, really. So while we're all supposed to be buzzing with World Cup excitement and lapping up all this football, all that VAR and all those Nigeria kits, remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times. Every day on average, 12 men take their own life in the UK. That's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. Many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics, and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most. That's why we're working with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. We here at the Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provides a free confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.